So why are you really here? And what are you creating? I'm Ryan Lilly, and for the last decade, I've helped people to overcome their fears, to pursue their passions, to reconnect with their innate creativity, and to become successful entrepreneurs. I'm a huge fan of personal development and have studied under people like Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, and Gary Vee, to name just a few. But now I'm taking the leap myself. I'm crossing the coals, and I'm finding out what it means to live life on purpose. Let's turn your fears into a new purpose. This is the Fear and a Purpose podcast. I want to welcome everybody to our second episode of the Fear and a Purpose podcast. This is where we talk to people who have overcome fears in their lives to pursue a new purpose. And uh, again, if you really listen to the stories of the people that we're talking to, I think that you'll be able to do the same thing. My guest today, I am so excited, is someone who is a good friend. E.J. Nieves. He's an artist who is also a recent uh, gallery owner. He's just created his own gallery here in town. And he's really someone who's also bringing the local art community together here and creating a lot of change as a result of that. So, E.J., thank you so much for being here today. Oh, no, man. I appreciate you, Ryan, uh, for being here. It's an honor and a pleasure. And I'm excited to to get into it, man, and to talk about uh, just the platform that you're creating here. Awesome. Well, let's get right into the first question. Uh, if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about your story and how you got into art and some of the transitions you've gone through in your career. Cool. Um, so, you know, pretty much I, I've been drawing, I mean, I've been drawing for a long time. Um, I'm 36 years old. Uh, I can distinctly remember the first time that I I knew that this was something that I, I was very passionate about. And it was, that was in fourth grade and had a friend named James Ingolino. His father was an illustrator. And so I remember we would sneak into his office at times and look at his drawings and things like that. Um, but anywho, so you fast forward to, you know, fourth grade, fast forward to high school and I became an editorial cartoonist. That's when I really started understanding the power of a visual voice. And in that case, it was attached to, you know, the written word. And so it was, it kind of worked in tandem. So high school was a, a nice milestone in regards to my work because that's when I started to understand visual voice. Fast forward to college. And that's when I started to understand really like the connectivity to people. It's when I had my very first art show. Um, I think even at this point, I never asked permission. And, you know, maybe if my professor is listening now, <laughs> I never asked permission to have an art show in, uh, in my classroom. And we snuck it. Well, I snuck in like, I think it was like 60 or 70 people into the visual arts building uh, in uh, at UCF. And we had an, I had an art show. And it was the first time that I ever sold a painting. It was a, the first time that I ever gave like a gallery talk, if you will. And I remember understanding even, you know, at that point um, at UCF, I think it was like my junior year. I just really started to understand the power of connectivity with art and how the visual voice can be as distinct as an audible voice. And uh, so that was college. Fast forward some more and you know, in my mid twenties, mid late twenties, when I was teaching, cause at this point I had graduated graphic design degree, couldn't find a job. Uh, I mean, my first job out of college with that paper in my hand, I was the, the, 
what is it, the 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 person in the speaker box at Wendy's? I was the the window guy. It's crazy. And I tell people this, and they're like, "You worked at, your your job out of college was Wendy's." Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I was in Orlando, job market. Um, like it's just very competitive there, and uh, got into retail management. Anyways, I ended up getting into teaching. My mom is a teacher. Um, shout out to my mom. She's going to be retiring in about four years uh, from the high school level, high school level Spanish. And she encouraged me to become a substitute teacher. That's when I became a sub, turned into a full time. At the same time this was happening, I was taking my painting to another level, um, really trying to push myself. And I started doing the comic convention scene. And it was then that I started taking commissions and, you know, really, you know, getting money for the hobby that I was doing. Uh, fast forward some more time, I put in about five years as a teacher and then I quit. And I know that we'll probably talk about this um, in another question, so I don't want to get too deep into it. But that was actually one of the first times that I, you know, I call it cliff diving um, or cliff jumping, if you will. The first time that I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. <clears throat> I'm going to quit a job that gives me, you know, everything. It gives me security. It gives me health benefits, it, it, you know, a nice salary. Um, <clears throat> and at that time, painting was still like a serious hobby. But then I quit teaching to pursue full-time full -time art. And that was the first time, this was in my late 20s, um, that I, I was scared. I, I legitimately was scared. I was scared writing the two week notice. Sorry. <clears throat> My apologies. I was scared writing the two week notice. I was scared, you know, approaching uh, the assistant principal. I was scared coming to school that day knowing that, hey, that, that's, that's the last day, you know, that this is the moment when I'm going to be pursuing what I love wholeheartedly and I'm going to be leaving security behind. And so, yeah, that was at this point now, um, yeah, that was about maybe, it's about three years now that I've been full-time as an artist, um, you know, only taking commissions, uh, doing art shows, festivals, the comic convention circuit in Florida, um, and really just the way that I put it is if I don't paint, I don't eat, and the basis of, you know, my flow of income, if you will, because I, I love people, you know, my, my mantra, my life philosophy is I love God, I love people, and I love art. And I, my life goal is to just be able to, you know, be swirled in those three elements every day of my life until the day that I die. And so now, you know, uh, I'm, really proud and happy to report that, you know, I'm a gallery owner. I'll be opening up in August in Ocala, Florida. Um, and I, everything that, that has come into my life, really the, the source or the well, the spring, if you will, was, was art. It, it was art. And I thank God that, uh, he was with me during times when I was really, really scared to make that jump because I, I could still be a teacher and, I just realized that that just, it wasn't my lane being in the public sector. I'm a teacher at heart, but I just remember always feeling so, um, I don't know, like always in a box, you know, I always felt in a box. And one day I decided to, to break out of it. It was scary, but I did it. <laughs> Can you remember that day EJ or where you were or what you were doing when you made that decision to, to make the change? 
Oh my goodness. Okay. So I, I love parks and rec and I, it's funny because I love parks and rec, right? But then at the same time, I always forget the names of characters. And, uh, do you watch parks and rec? My wife does. I, I actually haven't watched too many episodes myself. Okay. So there was a, there was a, <clears throat> there was an episode with Ben and John Ralphio. And for my Park, Parks and Rec fans, you you might know this, and I won't get too in detail into the actual joke that John Ralphio did because it was a little, um, you know, just inappropriate. So I won't say it. I won't tell the joke here on the show, but I will say that it was in that moment, <clears throat> Ben and John Ralphio were having a particular conversation. And it was the season when Ben, I think he quit his job and he was trying to like figure out like what he, or he was thinking about quitting his job and he was trying to figure out his life. And he ran into John Ralphio in the mall out of all places. And they had this very awkward conversation in front of a store. And John Ralphio says something to Ben. I'll, I'll never forget. And it's weird. Like I'm talking to you and I'm about to get emotional because there were a lot of times in that show and I know a lot of people love the office. I never really got into the office, which I do like the office, but I love Parks and Rec. And there was so many moments in that show that really resonated with me and was like, man, this is life. Like this is real. And um, so he pretty much said <clears throat> at the end of the joke, the, you know, the dovetail was if you don't love what you're doing, why are you doing it? And that was, you know, that was the, uh, the moral of the story, if you will. There, there was an inappropriate joke attached to that, but the moral of the story was, if you don't love it, why are you doing it? And that was the moment when I said, I was, I was you know, in my apartment watching Parks and Rec. I watched, I, I watched that scene probably five or six times. And then I, you know, I paused it and I just said to myself, yeah, I think this is it. I think I, I don't, I like teaching. Um, I love instilling wisdom and knowledge and guiding children, but I don't, I didn't love like being a teacher in the public sector. And that's when I was like, I don't, I don't love it. So why am I doing it? I was four years in, it took me about half the school year to make the leap. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was the moment, man. Um, it, that was the moment I was at home just hanging out, watching Parks and Rec. And uh, the, the episode spoke to me. <laughs> so, so in terms of making that leap, if somebody's listening and maybe they're working a steady job, making a steady income, they're thinking about pursuing their hobby as you know, their full-time passion, what, what advice would you give them on overcoming that fear? You said it took you some months to make that transition, but what advice or insight could you give on that? So this one, uh, this, I'm not done with the book yet, but this particular piece of advice comes from a book that I'm reading called The Originals. And it was a perspective that I, I did it, right? But I never, I actually took the advice or I was doing what the advice was saying before actually knowing that it was, it was something, you know, that a lot of people actually did. And for some, for most, it might be common sense, but I, I think, um, it might be worth me saying it again. So I think what it is, is that when you realize there, I believe that there's a moment um, in anybody's career where, I don't know, you might be having dinner with your family. You might, you might've um, maybe your uh, vacation request was denied um, or maybe 
uh, you missed the birthday party, your best friend's birthday party, because you had to work a late shift. I, I believe there's always a moment where the rubber meets the road with the reality of, okay, well, this, this career is keeping me from doing the things that I absolutely love. Or, you know, this particular career, I might like it or I might enjoy it, but it's set up in a way that it's really blocking a lot of my life outlets that bring me joy. And I believe everybody has that moment. And I think it's important to, at that moment, realize it. Think to yourself, okay, am I okay with this moment happening, I don't know, once a year during you know the, the week or the two weeks you get for vacation? Um, I know that are many jobs, I, and I say this respectfully, um, especially, you know, we'll still during because I know we're, we're still in the midst of the pandemic and we're still social distancing. And, but at the height of the quarantine and at the height of the uh, lot, you know, shutdowns and social distancing and this concept of, you know, the essential worker, right. Coming out. Um, I know retail is one of those jobs and I worked retail uh, for a season in my twenties in my mid twenties, I tried to work my way up the ladder, you know, at Target. And so uh, for anybody that works at Target, I used to be a GSTL. Um, I loved it. I love being like a front end manager and, and talking and being with cashiers and whatnot. And, uh, and then customer service. I love customer service, uh, like face-to-face -face customer service. And so I was a GSTL for, um, for Target trying to work my way up. But retail is one of those jobs where it's like, man, I, I might miss Christmas. I might miss Thanksgiving. I, I, I might miss my mom's birthday. I mean, it's, I might miss, I might miss, I might miss, you know? And so I know that um, there are jobs out there that it kind of becomes reality very quickly uh, as you miss a lot of life things. And so it's really in, in that time that you say to yourself, okay, well, what am I really passionate about? Is it what, what I'm doing now is it, is it bringing me joy? Is it bringing me passion? And if that's no, the very first thing is really trying to understand yourself. Um, you know, learning, learning what, what you're really excited about. And that could be a career shift. It could be a career shift. It could be going back to school. It, it could be creating something. There's a lot of people that are artists. There's people that they, they love to sew. Uh, they love to paint. They love to sing. They love to play the guitar. And I believe that there's, I believe almost every gift, if not every gift that you're given to by God, you can generate some form of income. Now it might not necessarily be that, you know, you'll be the, the next big singer or the next big entertainer. But what I am trying to say is, is that maybe it could be, maybe your life can be uh, created in a way that because you, you, you might play a couple gigs at a local restaurant or bar, as a musician, you can take a part-time job that doesn't take away from, from your life. And I think for me, it was a shift in not really thinking about the money as much in life as, okay, and for those, for those of you that may not know me, I know many might not, I'm a minimalist. And so there's a lot of applications to the minimalistic lifestyle that I believe help out because you don't really, you know, spend a lot of time and energy and money on things that would weigh you down or would put you in some kind of financial burden to have to work a job that, you know, asks 50 hours of your week or 60 hours of your week. So, I mean, my advice would be the very first thing is 
really understanding if you if you love your job. If you don't love your job, then it's the next move is understanding yourself to see okay, spend time with yourself. There's questionnaires online, you know, um, that help you understand what you like, what you don't like. One thing that I remember for me that helped out a lot is, is having really tough conversations with my friends, you know, because sometimes you can ask your friends, you know, like people you trust, of course, how do you, you know, how do you see me, you know, when you think about EJ, you know, what things have you noticed, you know, as, as my friend that I like or that I dislike and having those tough conversations to be able to, to have that moment where you say, okay, I, I'm not okay with where I'm at but I'm going to start walking in a particular direction towards my passion. And maybe you're going to have to stay working at that job for another year or two or another, you know, four years while you're going to school. Um, But for me, that's, that's the biggest piece of advice because I think a lot of people like jump from career to career or from job to job, not really knowing who they are. Um, I think that's, that's dangerous because then, I mean, I'm 36, so I say this respectfully. You know, you might be 40, 45, 50 years old and, and have a whole lifetime, or not a whole lifetime, but a whole chunk of life where you never sat down and spent time understanding who you really were or who you, what you really enjoyed to do. You might have jumped into that career because your mom or dad said, yeah, you, this, this family, we are all oral surgeons, or this family, we we are all park rangers. This is what we do. This is what we know, or, you know, a line of police officers or firefighters or, or nurses, you know? So I think a lot of times uh, that happens. I had a lot of friends that they went to school and got degrees because their mom, dad, grandfather, grandmother, there, it would, there was a line, a lineage of careers um, that stayed the same for generations. And that could, for some that can be dangerous because then you, you just kind of get stuck in something you don't want. Sure. So shifting gears a little bit, um, obviously, again, we're talking about what fears people are working through. Uh, I would think that one of the biggest fears as an artist or anyone who's creative, being an entrepreneur, putting yourself out there is the fear of rejection. And will people accept or approve of or value that which I'm putting out into the world? Can you talk about as you, again, more seriously pursued art and putting yourself out there and making a living out of it? that fear of rejection and how you were able to overcome that? Oh boy, this one, um, this is a good question and it's very heavy, um, and kind of loaded, you know, um, in a good, in a good way, because the thing is rejection. I, I'll never sugarcoat the fact that with art or anything that you create, um, and this can even be in the marketplace. You can, you can, you know, draw up a business plan, a business model, um, a new way of managing, uh, you know, and this is in the marketplace as well. And, and and then an art creating something, whether it's a a song, a dance, uh, a clay sculpture, a metal sculpture, a painting. Rejection, rejection comes. And the thing is I've always, I've really grown to realize and the cool thing about Ocala uh, for me, because one uh, side note, I lived in Orlando for 17 years. And I'm definitely not saying that you cannot have this in a big city. You can. You can have it anywhere in life. But in my personal life, um, uh, the year that I've been in Ocala, I've only been here for one year, 
compared compared to the 17 years I lived in Orlando, I, I started to understand the power of community and the power of family. And and this is family that's not even blood. And the way that I'm tying all this together is this. For me, the biggest way that I was able to overcome uh, the challenges and the rejection that come from creating and, and putting it out, expounding it out into the world is to have a safe place. Um, and for some, you know, I myself, I'm single, um, but for some, that's their spouse. For some, that's their mom. Uh, for some, that's their grandparents. Um, but I, I believe that for anybody that is constantly, and, I, and I'll put myself on the red carpet, I'm constantly expound, like releasing things that I create, uh, a painting, an idea, a platform. And it's scary because there are things that I, I, I say and do and paint that are matter of fact. There are, there are stances and beliefs that I have that, that, are, that are black and white. You know, and, and there's not a lot of room for gray. And then I also have an area of my artwork that I intentionally leave room for gray because I believe that it's a very beautiful and powerful thing to be able to place people that are, you know, that are, are have different views and they meet in the middle and they can talk. And, you know, in my, fa in my Facebook and my Instagram, well, my Instagram specifically, I, I dropped a lot of, of pieces within the past six months that really brought people to this gray space. And so in the midst of those conversations that were tough, I needed a place where I could be, you know, recharged, fueled up. I can go have a, a glass of wine with a friend. I can go to their house and, you know, watch a movie, be surrounded by people that know me for who I am. Because now that we're living in a digital age, there are a lot of keyboard uh, keyboard warriors, if you will, <laughs> that they are not afraid to share their thoughts, you know, on the keyboard. They might not even, you know, if you were to see some of these people in real life, if you saw them at Target or if you saw them, you know, uh, downtown in your local city, I don't think half of these people would actually say to your face what they write on Facebook or what they write in a comment thread on Instagram. And so we do live in a day and age where you, the more that you, you share, the more you put out there, the output, because there's a lot of output on social media, then the probability of people fearlessly behind a computer screen or on a, on a phone writing something hurtful or writing something that could, you know, they could say to try to tear you down, the probability becomes higher. And so for me, I think I, I would never say do, you know, don't be afraid of rejection, but prepare for it, create a safe space for it and be open for me. And, and I'm not saying to do it every day because that can become exhausting too. Um, but I believe too, for any creative that puts their work out there, they're gonna get both good and bad. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to have somebody at the end of the day or the end of a week or even the end of a month and say, you know, there were just a couple comments that were really hurtful. You know, I, I, I don't know why they said that. I don't know why she said that. I, don't, I, I got a DM the other day. And I think communication 
communication with somebody you trust and somebody that you're safe with, that's really what has helped me because I have faced a lot of rejection. I have painted things that many people did not agree with. I have painted things and created things and, and built platforms that the platform itself was, was a gray area. And I intentionally did that because there's beauty in the gray. There's beauty when people, they don't agree, but they're willing to sit down and talk. And sometimes they're not willing to talk. And sometimes the argument might spur up something interesting, right? Or, or create a lane or an avenue of hope, even in the midst of an argument, because I think it's important for people to talk. So yeah, that, um, that's my biggest thing. When you're navigating in fear, or not, not in fear, but through fear, because I was scared to jump off the cliff when, you know, I was scared to jump off the cliff when I was quitting my job. But I'm grateful, you know, I'm grateful that, and in my case, my mom has always supported me. I know that there are people out there that have parents that are like, hey, don't jump off that bridge. You know, you, you need that job security and, and X, Y, Z. And I understand that. But I, I do believe that, and it's beyond enabling because I'm also talking about a safe place that it's not just a friend that enables you to do everything and anything, but it's somebody that really understands your heart and they understand your intentions. And they're like, yes, you have a plan. Jump off the cliff. You have a plan. You're going to be okay. Or EJ, you're my best friend. You don't have a plan yet. I know you want to jump off the bridge, but you got to get a plan first. So it's finding that person or that small intimate group of people that you can talk to and talk about everything. So that way you can navigate through fear because fear is going to come, man. I'm, I'm scared to open a gallery. You know, I have phone calls, you know, I have a particular council of friends that there's nights that I cry. <clears throat> there's nights that I cry and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I don't, I mean, I appreciate the love that I got on Facebook, you know, like I love tons of people liked it and commented and I'm so excited, you know, but it's like at the end of the day, I turn my phone off and you know, all those comments are gone. I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know two thirds of those people. you know. <laughs> and so I call my mom and I'm like, mom, like I'm, I'm scared, man. And she's just like, I, I know you, you know, like just keep walking through it, have all your ducks in a row try your best to not miss a beat when it comes to, you know, the business plan and getting a business license and the assurance and, you know, like all the, all the matter of facts and all the practicalities. Right. So it, to me, build that team. You know, I, I think a, a lot of this conversation, I keep circling back to self-awareness, um, navigating through fear to me, to be able to successfully navigate through fear is to have, absolute or near absolute self-awareness and that takes time i'm not there but i'm, I'm pursuing it you know like you got to pursue uh self-awareness there's a, something you said just a few minutes ago you said there's beauty in the gray and that that is really powerful ej i know one of the things that i believe is that when people are in that area of uncertainty and trying something new that's where they're most likely to find what they're passionate about and what really um you know sets them on fire so uh, beauty yeah. in the gray. I, I love that phrase. Um, yeah, no, um, real quick, a, a friend of mine, he's a pastor, his name's Steve. And I remember we had a really, we had a powerful conversation and at Cemetery Coffee for anybody that's local in Ocala, uh, shout out to Cemetery. But we had a very powerful conversation 
about, you know, God being in the gray. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to start preaching or anything like that. But it really just opened my eyes to understanding that being in the gray, there, that's not a bad thing. And the moment that I started embracing process, because process, like in life and in so many things, that's my friend Shane, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Hey Shane, how's it going? I, I took over. I took over his office because uh, he has a really nice setup and a nice computer and camera. Um, but anywho, um, yeah. What's we call it? You know, I started really understanding process when you. Hi, bud. When you embrace process, you're not trying. I mean, trust me, I, I'm an A to B guy. You know, I want I want to get to B. You know, I'm at A, I want to get to B, and then from B, I want to get to C, and I want to keep going. But that's exhausting, man. It's so exhausting. And I'm once again, I'm 36. My 20s, my 20s was all about A to B, A to B, A to B. And by the time I became a teacher, uh, I was probably 27, 28. By the time I became a teacher, I was exhausted. And I was like, man, um, I don't, I don't know anymore. And I, man, I, I had, you know, a lot of depression, uh, a lot of late nights, uh, you know, a lot of Sunday night blues that I like to call it, you know, like Sunday would come and I'd be like, man, I don't want to go to sleep because I don't want to wake up to go to work on Monday. And it's just because I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying the process. I wasn't enjoying my friends. I wasn't, I mean, you know, at the, at the time, and this is kind of a, a side note, but at the time I was uh, dating a young lady, I, I wasn't enjoying my time with her. I was always, you know, it was always A to B. What's next? What's my, what's my one-year plan? What's my five-year? And I'm not, I'm not denoting and I'm not judging anybody that has five-year plans or 10-year plans, but I know for me, it, it just didn't work. Yeah. It, I, was, I, I had to learn how to live in the moment, prepare. I'm not saying not to prepare. But prepare for life, but live in the moment. Enjoy, enjoy the moment. I had a friend that they'd get upset with me, and, and I look back on it now, but they would get upset with me because, you know, let's take the rocket launch, for example, uh, that just happened. Old EJ, I, I would have grabbed my phone, you know, like because I, I'm, I am obsessed with documentation. I love documenting my life. But it did get to a point where it was like everything had to be documented. I wasn't enjoying the moment. I would pull out my phone and take pictures. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't look at my friend and, and be like, and look at their expression like, man, like they're so happy about this, you know? Or for example, like eating dinner, I, I, I would take pictures of my food and I would, you know, be quick to go to Yelp or something and do a review. And it's like, and I'm talking to the phone, right? I'm not talking to my friend or I'm not talking to whoever, you know, that's in front of me. I was just always concerned about A to B, A to B. And so I don't know why I went on this tangent, but I think it's important because the gray is the process, man. It, it's enjoying the process. And Ocala, I have been surrounded by amazing people in Ocala, you included, Ryan. I, I genuinely feel like we're all enjoying the process of watching Ocala become this, this beautiful, it's already beautiful, but like there's something big that's about to happen here. And I feel like everybody knows it. Everybody feels it. And we're all in our own lane, but we're not rushing it. We're all in the process of, of building relationships and rapport 
And then when this time comes, and and some and for me, it might be when the equestrian center opens. I don't know. It might be when the brand new hotel downtown opens. I don't know. But something's gonna happen, and it's gonna be like we're all gonna stand there and be like, oh my gosh, like this is fantastic. But in the midst of our process, we genuinely spent time to get to know each other and have these friendships. So later on when businesses from all over the world, because the equestrian center is going to bring people from all over the world, we're going to be able to have these really cool, genuine connections with locals and local business owners and local entrepreneurs and local influencers, because we enjoyed the process of, of getting to know each other and to understanding how to really build a platform. So yeah, man, that's, that's a great, I, one of these days I might write a book on it. Like literally like, you know, um, there's beauty in the gray. I don't know. I love that. I think that might even be what we, we titled this podcast. There's beauty in the gray. I love that so much. I love it. EJ, love if you it. could um, talk next about how art can be used to create change, both in it, people's individual mindsets, as well as societal change. I know there's been a lot of things going on lately. You were part of a march yeah. uh, a week or so ago. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and how your art is helping change uh, both individual opinions as well as society? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to close this door real quick. I'll be right back. One second. Absolutely. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, no, this is really cool. And um, shout out to TED Talks. I, I actually applied uh, for the TEDx Ocala. And it's going to happen in November. I don't know if I'll get an opportunity to be a speaker there or not. But the one thing that's cool about what you just said and recently because they asked me a slew of questions on the application and this year's, this year's theme for TEDx Ocala is voices. And for me, this whole year in Ocala has really shown me the power of the visual voice. There is a voice when you when you see something, whether it's a flyer, uh, a logo, a painting, anything visual. There's a voice to that um, color choice, color palette, even words that are transcribed in a piece. You know, even though, yes, you're reading it, it's still visual in nature. Um, and then as it's connect as it's connected to art and color and line and form and, and all that. I, I, I nerd out sometimes when I talk about art, but so I think one of, one of the times that I, I started to really grasp it because I have been a, a painter of pop culture and comic book culture and that is, it's really cool. I love it. I grew up reading comic books and watching X-Men cartoons on Saturday morning. That's me. You know, I'm a nerd at heart. I love it. I love the aesthetics of pop culture and comic culture. And I'm not saying that because there have been some very powerful storylines and story arcs that were very political or very, you know, had a lot to do with the here and now. I remember, you know, seeing Spider-Man comic books with 9-11 and, and how Captain America handled it, how Spider-Man handled it. Um, so I'm not denoting, I'm not, you know, saying anything uh, negative about comic culture and not being able to tap into, you know, what's happening in real time because it has happened a lot. But there, there's something unique that happens uh, when any artist, not just myself, any artist takes the time 
to create a dialogue or to take a snapshot of a moment, a season, a year, a decade to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to spend time on, on this. I'm going to, you know, I think about Dave Miller and any other photographer, you know, Dave Miller was out there in the protest and, you know, that morning, you know, he's an awesome dude, you know, but I, I, you know, I didn't get a chance yet to talk to him about how he felt exactly right. But he probably woke up that morning and was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go out to the protests and I'm going to capture history. For me, the pandemic is called the pandemic collection. And this was in the middle of, you know, and I know that each state was different and I know we'll have, we have viewers from all over the globe. So I know in the United States, each state kind of dealt with the quarantine and the shutdowns differently. And so in Ocala, Florida and Marion County, when we were shut down and, you know, the restaurants were just, they were just doing curbside. I remember for me, it, it, and I have to be transparent, it didn't really become real to me. Two things happened. And one, you know, I'm not proud to say this, but I have to be real. One moment when Hobby Lobby closed or when Hobby Lobby shut down, because the whole time, you know, things were shutting down and I'm like, okay, as long as I can paint and the post office is open and, 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 you know, there's still a market place for art and for people to purchase artwork. I'm okay. I'm okay. Financially, I'm okay to support myself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So that when Hobby Lobby closed, that's when I took a seat and I was like, okay, this is, this is getting real. What I'm seeing on Facebook in regards to my friends that have lost their jobs as a bartender, as a server, as a X, Y, Z, you know, it's becoming now real to me because my, my pipeline of how I, I get supplies and how I work is now closed. Um, I know Michael's was still open, but Hobby Lobby, you know, it, it's a matter of like what supplies I needed for the particular job. And so there's times where Michael's didn't have what I needed and Hobby Lobby had it. And so that happened. And then when my friends started, you know, sharing with me that they had family members that were affected by COVID or, you know, I even had some at the time that they had uh, family members pass away and the doctors were reporting, we believe it's COVID. We don't know for sure yet. Um, And then reports later showed that, that it was not COVID. But during that time when my friend told me, yeah, my, you know, I had relatives uh, upstate that they died from COVID because that's what at first the doctors reported. There was a couple days that I, I was, I was just, I was in shock. I, all I knew was, I, I, all I knew was I had a responsibility as an artist. And once again, this is, we talk about rejection. So I'm going to say something on your show that it's going to draw a line in the sand. At some point in life, I believe as human beings, at some point in life, we have to draw a line in the sand, whether, and once again, it depends on anything, whether you were for the riots or not, whether you're pro-life or not, whether you're Democrat or Republican, whether you, you know, 
whether it, every there's, there's a line in the sand, right? And so for me, my line in the sand is this. I believe that every artist, every person that creates, we have a responsibility to share a dialogue of what's going on in the world. Like, to me, the power of creation, like creating um, something like that's in your head, because we're not robots. So in my heart, and I think, you know, and, and maybe we might be taking a little deep dive, um, but I believe the temperature and the season that we're in, it's appropriate to, you know, with your permission, of course, is appropriate to, to talk about this a little bit. <clears throat> as a man of color, I'm not, I'm not black, but as a man of color, I, I believe that I have a responsibility to, to share my heart and to share what my views are in regards to what's happening. Because many times, silence within itself can be misconstrued. And even, even with that being said, there are people that they, they don't believe that. But I, I do believe myself that I'm not going to say that silence is absolutely unequivocally bad because I, I don't believe that, but I do believe that we are living in a moment in time in history where you have an opportunity to not be silent. We're alive. Like, Ryan, you're alive. I'm alive. We're talking right now. And as an artist, I'll circle back, as an artist, it is our absolute responsibility because I love art. I love I love God. I love people, and I love art. So, with that being said, I say compassionately and with love and with respect to every creator out there, we all have a responsibility to utilize our God-given talent to create something that speaks of what we believe. If, and this is very because I I am. I am a respecter of all things. So if you were in support of the riots, tell your story as to why. Paint something, sing something, write a poem, do a, do a contemporary dance that shows me why it was okay to riot. Me particularly, I'll say on your show, I was not for the riots. I'm for peace. I'm for empathy. I'm for... I'm for sitting down like we're doing right now and talking it out. And I know that there's a lot of people that don't agree with that because they said the talking's over. Now it's time for action. Now it's time to burn a building down. And I see where they're coming from, but I don't, I don't agree with it whatsoever. But once again, going back to the art, as an artist, as a creator, now we are live we are living in history artists all around the world have the opportunity and even this is art ryan like you creating a platform for us to talk this is art we have an opportunity to be a voice that can help that can dialogue that people can go back to that kids 25 years from now they're going to watch this podcast. There will be somebody 25 years from now that, that will watch this podcast 
and they'll say, man, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of race, like, I mean, racial injustices have been happening forever, but at, at the height of it, when it peaked and the volcano erupted and the world responded to social and racial injustice, we are living in history. And for anybody that is not taking the moment to, to document this, to journal, to write, to video, to Facebook Live, to paint, to dance, you're missing an opportunity to be a part of a worldwide dialogue. This is history. And so I create and I paint to document history. I create and I paint and I write to be able to set up situations, platforms, atmospheres to be able to talk because that's important and that's the power of art. It's that's the power of it of any kind of art form and I think of music, man. I think of Bob Marley, you know, like you listen to Bob Marley now what he was talking about in his lyrics, he was fighting for those, he was fighting for the same things that many of us are fighting for now, for equality, for to, to, to battle with love against social injustices and racial injustices. And so, I mean, Bob, to me, Bob Marley and a plethora of other musical artists and, and visual artists, that's ultimately what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, and God bless him and rest in peace, Bob Marley. But how long has he been gone from earth, right? And we are still talking about it. Just like I know, and I'm, and I'm not puffing myself up and I'm not puffing you up, Ryan. But I know that when you and I pass away, people will still talk about what we're talking about. Because we, we're fearlessly, right? We're bringing this back. We're fearlessly on this platform together, Ryan talking about this like and that's what you get with fearlessness that's what you get from it there, there's no other after this is done it'll be recorded i'm sure you'll you'll put it out and and that's it it's done it's we are setting it off on on its course to do whatever do whatever the platform you created was supposed to do right and so, man, I, I don't know. I just, um, I know I kind of went on a little tangent, but it's just art to me. It's so powerful because it can bring a community together. You know, I, I was going to talk about neon dreams a little bit, but I, I've talked about neon dreams, you know, like, and, and, and maybe on another podcast or another situation I'll share, but ultimately I've, I have learned that art, it can bring a community together. It can create an atmosphere of love and change and resolve art can even bring art can bring hatred art can bring decisiveness like or, or you know it could bring that line in the sand but it's what we do in that moment and what I've learned to do in that moment and, and this is just me this is it was how I was raised it's what I believe in I'm not going to change from it I I believe in love man I believe in empathy I believe in sitting down even if you don't like me, I just, I want to know why. If I did something wrong to you, give me an opportunity to change it. But I believe that everything, everything, hatred, envy, greed, social injustice, Republican, Democrat, liberal, whatever it is, I believe that any two people that disagree, 
you at least deserve, and if you live states away or countries away because you're having a fight on Facebook, I believe that now is the time to, to cease that, to stop that, and to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to jump in their DMs and I'm going to have, I'm going to have a civil conversation. I'm not going to yell at them. I'm going to ask questions. And I think now we're living in a season of life through art, through humanity, through the marketplace. Now is the time to listen. Now is the time to understand, right? Um, and yes, at the forefront of what we're dealing with, it has to do with, you know, right in today's temperature, it has to do with so, uh, racial injustices and social injustices. But I believe there are also other injustices too that exist that this moment in time is allowing us to understand this is just the beginning of our conversation. We have so much to talk about. We have so much to learn from each other. And I, I hope that my artwork and my charge to other artists and other musicians um, and other performers is that in this season of life, they use this season in the temperature that we're in to be fearless to share their stance and, and their stance and their viewpoint and their heart on, on what's happening in the world. And I go, and I go months before back to the isolation there. There's people right now that are living in absolute depression from the isolation that they were in during COVID that we haven't even talked about the media. The media went straight from COVID and social distancing to literally buildings on fire, like overnight, overnight. And I think it's very interesting. You know, that's another topic. The it's, media is a very interesting thing to think about and to talk about because literally our entire society, America, I can only speak for America and, and how things are kind of shifting. We literally went from quarantine, social distancing, um, you know, praising nurses uh, and, 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 and doctors and, and essential workers to literally overnight showing, you know, it, it, we're right back to white against black. Um, we're right back to social injustices, which it was never gone. And I'm not, I am not saying that it was ever gone and that it's not prevalent. I'm only talking about how the media is able to sway um, our attention to and fro. But yeah, no, art's, um, to me, I believe that art is, is a tool and we should use it. We should use it for good. We should use it for good. That's awesome, EJ. Can you talk a little bit about what's next for you? You mentioned your gallery when we started. Uh, when's the gallery opening and what do you see on the horizon for your art in the future? So uh, the gallery is, is opening in August. I, you know, I'm very excited. I'm Puerto Rican. Hispanic Heritage Month is in September. So I believe it's September 15th to October 15th. And I really wanted to, to do something for that and, and to really do like a call to artists and to have a show that, that, that honors uh, the Hispanic community here in Marion County. So I know that in the horizon that's coming up for sure um, as I'm, I'm starting to you know, talk and, and build a team to, to put that show together. <laughs> But the gallery will open 
uh, Our House Ocala is, is still going strong. Uh, for those that don't know, Our House Ocala is a not-for-profit. We're you know, getting all the paperwork and everything in order uh, for it to be a not-for-profit organization that builds platforms for emerging artists all the way to established artists. And, you know, we, we're trying, we want to mentor children and give classes and build platforms for artists that are already established to be able to continue their pursuit. So, you know, our house Ocala is going to be, uh, we're going to be turning the gears and the gears are going to be turning again for that. Uh, Neon Dreams 2, uh, that's coming. Uh, Neon Dreams 1, for, you know, those that may not know, was a huge uh, show. Uh, we had about 600 people and it was an art show that was just really bright and colorful. A lot of neon lights and amazing music uh, by Just Joel and he's an amazing musician. Uh, Teddy Sykes and myself, we put on a show called Neon Dreams. So Neon Dreams 2, uh, the tagline is bigger, bolder, brighter. So we wanna have at least double. Uh, so last year we did uh, 600. We'd love to at least see about 1200 people in the building uh, when we do it. COVID kind of stopped the process, if you will, because you know, being able to communicate with venue spaces and things like that and not knowing uh, what would be available so we'll definitely let everybody know when the date uh for neon dreams 2 is coming but neon dreams 2 is coming so uh but yeah just a lot of cool things happening man awesome. a, lot of things, a lot of cool things happening and then last thing ej can you talk about how people can connect with you your website social media i know you've got a huge tiktok and instagram presence can you talk a little bit about yeah. that uh yeah no i uh it's funny I'm, I'm a tiktoker i love i love it so much and uh ryan myself and pappy we actually we've done some TikToks together uh, in his office. So that's fun. Uh, yeah, so I'm a TikToker, I'm an Instagrammer, um, and I'm big on Facebook, man. I just love social media and I love documenting. So uh, for my art stuff, official, so official, N as in Nancy, E-H-S as in super, official, Ness, all one word. And that's going to be, I'm not really on Twitter anymore, but that's my Twitter. That's my TikTok. That's my Instagram. That's where my art is. My personal, my personal Instagram is Mr. Spelled out M-I-S-T-E-R, Nieves, N-I-E-V-E-S. And I believe, yeah, you can see my name on there. So it's Mr. and my last name that you see in the little box on Zoom. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's it. And then the website's come in, theartofejnieves.com. E, the uh, building that right now. There'll be an online store. And then... Uh, Nest Galleries, I'll have a link to Nest Galleries when that opens up online inside of the art of ejnieves.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, EJ, for being on the podcast today. Um, we want to thank everybody for listening. I know that you've been able to take something away from this that you can apply to your own life and be able to overcome those fears to achieve a, a purpose like EJ has. So thank you so much, EJ, for being here today, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you, brother.